Sorry if you could hear some ambient noise uh, in the intro. <clears throat> oh, wait. Sorry about that. I was just watching the awesome uh, basketball game that I'm watching right now. Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant are going at it right now. Russell Westbrook has 17 points. Docker. Like his best performance that he's had in a long time. Kevin Durant has 16 points. Awesome basketball game series. Not going to talk too much about it because I want to hit on the draft. Uh, no podcast tomorrow, as we always do. But um, we got some other things to talk about. Player valuations, draft conversations. I didn't hit on everything that I wanted to hit on yesterday. And so we will. We will talk about it. And um, before we get into the draft, and uh, goodness gracious, I'm I'm exhausted and I'll get into it. But great show coming up, 24th Podcast. Love this song. Love Persona music. The singer is fucking killing it. Oh, baby. A lot of stuff to talk about. Can, can we turn it up? This is one of the best parts of the song. I apologize. Here we go. Again, great song, great singer, great soundtrack, man. Jesus Christ. I wish there were better compilations of Persona music that was officially released instead of me having to like go out of my way to try and find these performances. I I was up late last night because I was uh, making a like I was adding songs to a playlist and I was just like I had like it's it's literally a playlist just filled with persona songs. There's over 170 songs making it a nine hour playlist. It's it's like all of my favorite persona songs. And it's like every single time I play it, it's just banger after banger after banger after banger after banger. It really is. But we're not here to talk about persona music. Let me <clears throat> let me get into the podcast. Apologize if I'm just I'm just exhausted. I'll get into that in a couple of minutes. Hold on. So physically exhausted today. Oh my god. I've been on and off uh, of the podcast. I've been talking about how I've been training. I really haven't talked about it in a couple of weeks. Not because I haven't trained. It's because I've just just become integrated in my life. So today was leg day. Leg day for me is easy. It really is. Uh, now, 
The only problem is, is that today I added on a shit ton of weight and I did a lot of reps. I did like a couple of just warm-up sets. And look, the leg press machine, if you don't know what the leg press machine is, it's a machine that you can load up with a bunch of weight and not really lift the weight, you know, because your form is sloppy and things of that nature. Uh, but even even when you are doing it, properly when you are using the machine properly you can reasonably lift a bunch of weights right move a bunch of weight and today and, and a lot of people they look down on the machine and things of that nature i like it i'm not a huge fan of squats that's just personal preference it has nothing to actually do with the exercise itself it's just i become nauseous and lightheaded at the exact same time whenever i do squats and so i just I, i'm like let me just find a find a substitute for it and i like leg extensions and leg presses and but leg presses especially so today i loaded up i'm a couple of weeks out from my like two week break in like march or something like that so i'm i'm really getting back into like improving my strength and today i lifted like five plates on the leg press machine five plates means five 45 pound plates uh, on each side. So I had 10 total 45 pound plates, which is, you know, you know, 10 times 45 is 450 pounds. Plus the actual platform itself is apparently an additional 100 pounds, but I don't really care about the platform. So I was like moving 450 pounds today. And during the workout, I was like, man, why? Like I couldn't, I couldn't fucking do anything. I couldn't fucking do anything. I, like I couldn't, I couldn't do the sets that I wanted. I did. I couldn't do the weight that I wanted long term. Like I did two variations of leg presses, one for my quads and one for my hammies. And once I was done with both leg presses, I couldn't do leg extensions and, and hamstring curls. I'm exhausted today. I was shocked. I was like, and I still am. I'm, and I feel it right now. And the problem is, is that I was exhausted from Sunday's exercise, which was arms, and like Saturday's exercise, which was chest. I'm exhausted. And it's Tuesday. So it's like there's not a lot of time left in the week for me to work out. I got three more exercises. Plus, I have two sessions of cardio. That's a lot of exercising. A lot of exercising. Like, that pretty much means that I'm going to have to work out every single day this week. For the remainder of this week. And I'm just... I'm like, I don't know how much... The problem... You want to know the problem with, like, the way that I train? The problem is, is that I never know how I'm going to feel the next day. Like, I could feel significantly better because everything, like, today when I was warming up and I was doing my stretches, like, my shoulders hurt, they were sore, my chest was sore. Like, a lot of things that, in my opinion, shouldn't have been sore were sore, and I was like, uh-oh, this isn't good. But tomorrow, it could be fine. I could be fine in that regard. But at the exact same time, it's like, I know for a fact my legs are going to be sore tomorrow. And I gotta run for an hour, so... Like, that's, that's not good at all. To celebrate, I was like, let me go to Chick-fil-A for the first time in months and let me get two spicy chicken sandwiches, some, uh, some fries, and they just had a chocolate shake just laying around because I guess they got it wrong. They got the order wrong, and I was like, I'll take a free chocolate shake, sure. So I also drank a free chocolate shake. But I am tired awesome episode this weekend of i meant to talk about it last night but i was just it was just too late awesome 
weekend of uh, of episodes for Succession and also Demon Slayer. More so for Succession, Demon Slayer's episode was all right. I just kind of want Demon Slayer's plot to pick up a little bit because I want some of the fights. I want some of the things going on here. And uh, unfortunately, it just, just doesn't seem to be happening right now, I guess. I don't know. Goodness gracious. I was reading this book before I got onto the podcast called Mistborn. It's a Brandon Sanderson book. It's supposed to be one of his best books ever. And I, like, I just I don't understand why people always recommend this book. I'm like 350 pages in and I'm still conflicted about the main character. Like, I was just starting to like the main character, and now I don't like her again. Like, she's just... Ugh, she's just so ridiculous. And, like, I don't know anything about any of the other characters. I feel like I've wasted 350 pages. And I'm trying to read 100 pages tonight, so I have an additional 50 pages to read, but I don't, I don't even know if I'm going to get through that, because it just... I don't know. I don't know, but... I mean, we'll see what happens, I guess. Goodness gracious. NBA basketball is happening tonight. What happened in the first game? Man. I'm by the way, I'm glad that the NBA just was like, we're gonna relegate some of these games to NBA T uh TV. We're not gonna try and put them on primetime. Like for example, the Boston Celtics game where they were just like, Yeah, you know, you can watch it if you're a fan, but we're not gonna make the national audience watch it. 106, 119 Boston. Trey Young, after having, like, I think two years ago, after having an amazing playoff series, or not playoff series, but just playoffs, uh, like two years ago, where they went to the Eastern Conference Finals, Trey Young has just been awful, honestly. He's just been terrible. I mean, Trey Young had, like, 24 points, but his stat line was, like, ridiculous tonight. Or was it ridiculous over the last couple of, uh, let, me, let me pull up his stats really, really quickly. He was like nine for twenty-two tonight, two for eight from three, and then the first game against the Celtics, he was five for eighteen, one for five from three. He takes a shit ton of shots and really doesn't make the majority of them, unfortunately. Takes a lot of threes too. Love Trey, but he's just not playing well. Just not playing well at all, and he's down o two to the Celtics. <clears throat> so that's something to monitor. Knicks, weirdly enough, just wet the bed against the Cavs tonight. Like, they lost by almost 20 points, 90 to 107. Like, it was the third or second quarter where I was just like, I probably don't need to watch the game, but I still will. And yikes, the Clippers, or not the Clippers, the, uh, the Knicks just didn't play well down. I don't even want to say the stretch, but really for almost two quarters. Cavs won easily, again, 107-90. The game that I'm watching right now got on the big screen. Right now, 75-82. to Phoenix is up. If KD and the Phoenix Suns, if they lose this game, I mean, I think KD is having a good game, but I, I thought, in, I mean, KD has 20 points. Devin Booker has 20 points. DeAndre Ayton is in double digits. He has a double-double. You know, Chris Ball has eight points, five assists. I just thought KD was going to elevate this roster. I just thought that he was going to elevate this team. That's kind of what I was thinking. I thought that they were they were going to make short work of the Clippers. It looks like the Clippers are a better team overall. 
The Phoenix Suns don't really have that deep of a roster, unfortunately, for them. And it's just like, I'm, I'm a bit shocked that the Suns are having this much difficulty with the Clippers, where it's just like, I feel like the Lakers would stomp on the Clippers in the next round, in my opinion. I feel like the Lakers would stomp on either one of these two teams. And I still, I think the same with... With Sacramento probably being able to take the series against Golden State. You want to know what? I'll make a prediction here tonight. If the Suns lose to the Clippers, it's either a sweep or a gentleman's sweep. It's either that the Clippers will win 4-0 or they'll win 5-1. Because I don't know how they're going to take two games away from the Clippers in, um, in Los Angeles. And then to make matters worse, it's like, even if you do take one game, the Clippers have shown that they can beat you at your own home. So, I, I just, KD has got to do something. Because Russell and the Suns as well have got to do something about Russell Westbrook. Because he seems like the only guy on the floor that is playing with like an intensity level of like 200%. It looks like old Russell Westbrook, except if he was a defensive player. Like He's determined. To prove that he is uh, not what everybody tells him that he is. And that's kind of a washed basketball player, to be honest with you. But, I mean, he's playing great tonight. Played great. Played great uh, on Sunday, I think. But, you know, we'll see what happens here. I have some other news that I wanted to talk about relating to the NFL before we get started with kind of like draft conversations here. So let me kind of like pull up some stuff here and there. Let me, I got like, like I'm just, hold on, wait. I'm like, what is this? Oh, okay, I know what this is. Got like a bunch of tabs on my computer. <clears throat> so one thing that I wanted, oh, oh yeah, I also have this weird Jim Irsay tweet that he put out like a couple of days ago. It was so weird. He just said, essentially, the, I'll, I'll read you the tweet, and it was like one of the most ridiculous things I've ever, maybe not one of the most ridiculous things I could, I ever saw, but it was just essentially him saying that they could, the Colts could or couldn't do anything, could or could do everything. The tweet itself is, for the 23 draft, we have many options with the number four pick. We could stay put and take a quarterback or trade up and take a quarterback or trade down and maybe take a quarterback or not. And then he has a smiley face emoji. Emoji. All options on the table, but we like our position and are very excited. Fire up. That was the tweet. Ian Rappaport retweeted it, and I was like, is this more important? Is, do you have anything else, Ian? Is, is there something to this that I need to be aware of? And no, that, that was the tweet. He was essentially just going through the situations of the Indianapolis Colts for this offseason in regards to the NFL draft, and I was a bit shocked. I was like, Ian, why did you retweet this? This is this is nothing. This is not a... I guess he thought that it was big news. There is some actual, in my opinion, big concerning news, and I feel like it's not being reported, and it's really being underreported. And what it is, is Brock Purdy could not start at the beginning of the regular season. 
And what I mean by that is that Brock Purdy, I don't really know where he said this. I don't really know when he said this. But Brock Purdy had said like a couple of days ago on a podcast that he's not really sure whether he'll play this season. He's saying it like one day at a time, adding things, adding that things have gone according to plan. Now, when if you don't know or don't remember, Brock Purdy, sensation for the San Francisco 49ers playing quarterback for them. He was a third string guy. Trey Lance, who was the number one starter, gets hurt. In comes in Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt. In comes in Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy gets hurt in the playoff game. In comes in fourth string guy. I don't even know his name. But Brock, I don't really know the extent of the injury because I'm not a doctor, but it was essentially a severe elbow injury, which for a quarterback, for throwers, it's never a good thing to hurt your elbow. It's one of the worst things that can happen. And I'm, I've like... Question whether or not he will come back, when he'll come back, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just because it's just like elbow injuries for quarterbacks are really, really sensitive. And the extent of his elbow injury, I don't think is being like shared completely. And also, I don't know how he's going to respond in his first year. Because there's so many unknowns about Brock Purdy because Brock had come in, had played essentially like a top three to two guy in the NFL at quarterback, and he went on this miraculous streak, this miraculous run that has really not been seen really ever in the history of a sport for somebody who was like a third-string quarterback coming in and essentially taking a non-playoff team to the NFC title game is like essentially unheard of outside of... uh, Who's the guy that came in? Case Keenum. Case Keenum. Outside of him. And we all know like what happened after Case Keenum had left the Vikings and went to Denver. He was fucking terrible, if you don't remember. But my point about Brock is there's just so many different variables in play with Brock. Whether it's the injury, whether or not it's the miraculousness of how he played. It's like, is Brock Purdy... The same guy that he was last year, does he come back in that condition? Is he worse? Is he better? Like, is the is he able to continuously play at that level? And it's just like, it's a lot of different variables that I don't really have clear-cut answers for. And then potentially the fact that he, like, again, I'm not getting this from the 49ers, or not even from the 49ers, excuse me. I'm not getting this from like a random source. I'm getting this from Brock. I'm like, Brock has said that he may or may not play. He doesn't know. He's The quote is, he's not really sure, honestly, if he'll play in 2023. Huge for the 49ers because they're one of the, they're one of the key teams in the NFC. It's like the 49ers, the Eagles, and like Dallas. Those are like the three top dogs in the NFC. And so, and really the 49, 49ers, excuse me, seem to be Dallas's kryptonite. So if the 49ers are healthy, then the Dallas Cowboys can and potentially will struggle with the 49ers in the playoffs. I don't know how the Dallas Cowboys will fare against the Eagles because I haven't seen the Eagles and the Cowboys play in the playoffs, but the 49ers losing 
not even losing case, not case. Oh my God. Losing Brock Purdy isn't necessarily the best way to describe it, but the 49ers not being a strong contender is, is imperative, especially when it's just like, they've got to figure out their quarterback situation very, very soon. At least in my opinion, they've got some of their key players that have been a part of this dynasty that are getting to the end of their contract that are going to be up for a payday. Brandon Ayuk, obviously. Nick Bosa is like one that I consistently keep on hammering. Like he's probably going to be worth like $30 million when it's all said and done. He's going to be like close to $30 million annually. And I'm just like, I mean, the 49ers right now have $3 million against the cap this year. And then next year they have 19 million. And it's just like, I think, He's in his fifth-year option. I think so, right? Got drafted in 19. So this is his fourth year. Next year will be his fifth-year option. It's like, you guys need to fucking get on this shit. It's like, it's it's getting it's getting to the point where it's like, you'll probably move on from Brandon Ayuk. Not because he's a bad player, but because you don't have any cap space. And you're going to try and figure out Nick Bosa as well. And we'll kind of see about all of these other players, but it's just like, it's just, it's a bit of a shock to me that they haven't, yeah, oh no, this is his final season, under contract, right, yeah, they weighed his fifth year option this year, so this is his final season, next year, he's a free agent, but he's a, uh, but he'll be tagged, right, he'll be tagged, but it's just like, they need to get it done, they should have gotten his contract done last year, but they didn't for some weird reason, so, it is what it is, I guess. This is like the main issue that I think John Lynch just hasn't solved or is refusing to not solve here for the San Francisco 49ers. So the 49ers need to get Nick Bosa signed, and I, I just don't know if they will or not. There was this interesting little situation that happened on Sunday. I was looking in on, in on it. It surrounded Robbie Anderson or the wide receiver formerly known as Robbie Anderson. He now goes by chosen Robbie Anderson. Cool name, I guess. So chosen Anderson used to play with the Arizona Cardinals, right? In fact, he used to play with the Jets. Good receiver. He's been a good receiver uh, for the majority of his career. I think just the lack of structure around him has really caused him to not be as productive as he once was. I mean, he was a borderline thousand yard guy. He was a solid, solid number two guy. Let me get his statistics here. Give me like two seconds. Yeah, I think he's been a good number two, number three guy. I'm like looking at his numbers. He's had like since 2016, I mean, he's had 1,000-yard season, which, again, he's a number two. He's not a number three guy. But he's, he, like, he's hung around, and he's almost, like, he's been a productive, and specifically when he was with the Jets, he's had, like, a productive season with them. He gets traded, weirdly enough, to the Arizona Cardinals. I, I'm not sure why the Arizona Cardinals were like, we need another wide receiver when we have, oh, I don't know, DeAndre Hopkins, 
what's his name? Oh my God. I can't remember. Uh, the small guy. Hold on. What's what? They also had Hollywood Brown. That's not who I'm referencing. Rondale Moore. Sorry, Rondale. I'm just, I'm exhausted. My brain is foggy. They had Rondale Moore, Hollywood Brown, who they traded for and Deandre Hopkins, who they also traded for, but the year, but that was like a long ass time ago. They've had weapons for Kyler. I just, I was confused as to why they just thought that they were like, yeah, we're just going to stack the deck and we're just going to, for some weird reason, just have more and more and more weapons. Just didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. But they did, and they got a lot of weapons for Kyler, and it didn't turn out a, a, at all well for them because A, Kyler got hurt, and B, they couldn't really utilize the weapons. <clears throat> so, where does this leave Chosen Anderson? Well, the Cardinals released him, I think, last week. Chosen Anderson goes down to the Dolphins, and he signs with the Miami Dolphins, which is fine. It's great. I don't really have that strong of an opinion about it beyond this. There was this interesting name that kind of came up in regards to Chosen Anderson being signed to the uh, to the Miami Dolphins, right? And that name was Cedric Wilson. Now, Cedric Wilson, if you don't remember or if you do remember, was this wide receiver from the Dallas Cowboys. Now, Dallas last year was in need of a wide receiver because obviously they just they traded away Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup was coming off of an injury. But CeeDee Lamb was awesome and he had he had been awesome for them and it was great for them. But they needed another wide receiver and a lot of people at, the, at that point in time, we're like, oh my God, the Cowboys are really missing Cedric Wilson. Cowboys were in need of a wide receiver. They didn't have a wide receiver. They needed Cedric Wilson. And they just, they didn't, they didn't have another wide receiver. So a lot of people made it, especially Colin Cowherd. He said that he talked ad nauseum about Cedric Wilson and was like, Cedric Wilson is this awesome wide receiver that the Cowboys missed out on. And lo and behold, Sunday I'm getting to, I've gotten to the point, Cedric Wilson is a trade candidate for the Miami Dolphins after the Miami Dolphins had signed Chosen Anderson. The interesting bit about it is that when I watched Cedric Wilson play, I liked him in Dallas, but I, I always thought to myself, I'm like, I don't think he would work outside of Dallas. And the same thing I thought and I still think of Dalton Schultz. I never felt that Dalton was an elite player. I felt, I felt that he was a good player, but I also felt that a lot of his success was reliant upon Dak Prescott because I don't think that he's a great talent at tight end. And to be honest with you, I think there may be guys on the team right now that are better talents than him. And it, feel, it felt as if Dak had elevated both of these two players, Cedric Wilson and Dalton Schultz. And I mean, we have the statistics now to prove it. Cedric Wilson almost had, you know, I mean, not almost. He did have a 600-yard game, or not a game, excuse me, but a 600-yard season in his final year with Dallas. The significance of that is that he had a 600-yard season with CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, and also Michael Gallup 
being on that exact same team. I mean, he was one of Dak's deeper roster guys, like guys that was deep on the roster, but he was reliable for Dak when he needed him. And he had some good moments and some good games, and he had some production here and there. He had six touchdowns, which is amazing. And it felt as if, outside of Dallas, it felt very similarly to Patrick Mahomes and Juju Smith-Schuster, where I like Juju Smith-Schuster. I like him a lot. But Juju, in no way, shape, or form do does anyone think is a great wide receiver. The same thing kind of went for a lot of guys that Tom Brady played in New England, where, you know, like when the like uh, Danny Amendola and Chris Hogan are two perfect examples of like guys that are just like they're good or great with Tom Brady, but when they leave Tom Brady, they're not so good. Like it's obvious they go and they fall off a cliff where you're like, oh, these are good receivers to, oh, these are average receivers to below average receivers. And that's how I felt about Cedric Wilson and now potentially even Dalton Schultz. By the way, Cedric Wilson with his first year in Miami had 136 yards. It was one of his worst seasons since his first season in Dallas in 2019. Like his second lowest yards per season. Zero touchdowns, by the way. Now, obviously, you can make the connection. Well, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle were on the team, but again, I would argue that Dallas two years ago had a similar wide receiving core, Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb, and Amari Cooper. The point that I'm trying to make here is that, and, the, and I'm cutting to the chase really, really quickly, is that Dak Prescott, I think, is a lot better of a quarterback than people give him credit for, and I think it's like... I understand the notion that Amari Cooper elevated Dak Prescott, and he did, just the same way that Stephon Diggs has elevated Josh Allen. But I don't think Josh Allen, to be honest with you, elevates a lot of his a lot of the uh, the wide receivers around him. I think he's very reliant on Stephon Diggs, and in a lot of ways, I don't think that that's his fault because he doesn't really have a lot of other guys beyond Stephon Diggs. But like, even take Cole Beasley for example, who was hanging around Buffalo for a little bit, right? It was just like, we never really knew how great Cole Beasley was until Dak Prescott. Everybody was just like, oh, he's just another slot receiver. He's not really that great of a guy, et cetera, et cetera. And then Dak Prescott comes into town and he elevates him. Terrence Williams. There's a time where this guy by the name of Bryce Butler, people were like, this is an important wide receiver. He's a great player. He gets paid by the Arizona Cardinals after a couple of years playing with Dak Prescott. And then he's essentially in and out of the league at that point, because everybody's like, oh my God, the only reason why he's a good player is Dak Prescott. I think this next, in the next week or so, Dallas is going to have some very, very interesting options. Already people are mocking Michael Mayer, the tight end out of Notre Dame to the Dallas Cowboys. I don't think so. If Dallas has Nolan Smith available or Lucas Van Ness or somebody else available, I don't think that they'll pass up on one of those defensive guys over Michael Mayer, they're probably just like, we like Jake Ferguson and Peyton Hendershot. But if, for example, like a Dalton Kincaid kind of runs around and kind of falls into their lap, I think they could be persuaded to take him. We'll see. But it's going to be so interesting when Dallas kind of like walks up to the podium, podium next week on Thursday to make their selection because I think Dak, once again, will elevate one of these guys, whether they're a young guy like... Jalen Tolbert or Simi Fihoko or whichever one, because Dak is already training with those guys. He may elevate one of those guys or Kevontae Turpin or one of the new guys that they could potentially draft. Mm, I don't know. 
it could go after Jalen Hyatt. I've seen some mock drafts here and there where it's just it's it's so weird. Uh, some guys are looking at uh not some guys but some some uh not teams. What's the word? Some mock drafts are kind of like falling with some of these players, and I'm just like I I'm a bit shocked. I'm a bit shocked at how some of these teams are going about their business and things of that nature. It's just it's weird to me. Or not teams, I guess, but simulations. It's it's just weird to me. But it's going to be so interesting in the next week to see what some of these teams are going to do and some of the philosophies when it comes to the draft. Also, some philosophies that I got going on here. Dan Orlovsky, again, I just, I hate the way Dan Orlovsky talks about football, honestly. He talks about it. I don't, I don't even watch NFL Live at all. I just see these clips of him on the Pat McAfee show saying the dumbest shit ever. And I'm just like, I cannot believe this guy has a job at ESPN. But he does. And the clips, they don't really get that much attention. And... Oh, my God. And it's like everyone... Like, I don't understand why... I, I just don't understand it, right? Like, I don't understand why he gets a platform... I get it. He's a former quarterback. ESPN wants that. But it's obvious that Dan just, Dan is a hack, honestly. He's the type of guy that's like, look, we're just, I'm just going to say a bunch of things that are just going to get traction and interest and views. And it's just not going to be interesting. You can be an interesting commentator and say interesting things that you believe and have hot takes. I don't understand why people have to fabricate narratives. It's like if you're an interesting person and if you have interesting things to say, you'll figure it out. It's not that difficult. It's only when you bullshit like Dan Orlovsky does that it makes you come across as like this very, very inauthentic, non-genuine, fake hack of a commentator. And it makes any and all shows that he's on boring. Like, could you imagine him being on the shame show as like somebody like Charles Barkley? He's like, just very, very low filter, very, very authenticity driven, like things of that nature. I couldn't imagine this guy being on the same show because he just, he reeks of just robotic charm or robotic or a robotic lack of charisma. It's ridiculous how... How just bore not even boring, but just how like fake he is, I guess. But anyways, I want to play this clip because Dan Orlovsky has been going on for about a month now. Uh, this whole media narrative run of saying that Anthony Richardson is like on the level of Bryce Young or Will Levis or whatever, or not Will Levis, excuse me, but CJ Stroud, he's on that level. And now he's going on and he's talking about how Will Levis can play in the NFL. Here's, here's a little bit of it. And I actually have, I don't even know who the guy that I'm playing, I don't even know who he is, but I'm going to play somebody from CBS Sports to refute what Dan Orlovsky is saying. And he doesn't even refute it directly. He's just like, it's dumb to have somebody who is actually inaccurate with the football on your football team. And this clip was getting a little bit of traction, by the way, today. But he was just like, it's kind of... in. I'm spicing it up a little bit, the quote. But he was just like, it's kind of dumb that people think that Will Levis can play at the NFL level when he just 
cannot make basic throws and that everybody is going goo goo and gaga over his combine, which is exact and pro day, which is exactly what people are doing. They're becoming obsessed with his combine and pro day. And he's just like, well, what did he do for the entirety of the year? Oh, he sucked and he threw less than 60%. Cool. Here's a uh, Dan Orlovsky spewing out garbage for a little bit over a minute. The big knock on him that everyone has said is you don't like his decision making. Um, I Inaccuracy. That, but like, I don't like his decision making. I don't like his accuracy. And this is in regards to Will Levis. I don't like his decision making. His accuracy. His intangibles. I don't like his mechanics. I don't like his footwork. I don't like... I already said decision making. But that's like six things that I don't like. Like he's not an NFL quarterback. I think a lot of decision making was circumstantial. Or at least, Can he move? Uh, we're down. Or at least he's not a starter. And Dan is going to cover for Will Levis. Will Levis can move. He just got fucking obliterated every single time he tried, right? And he's going to cover for him by saying that he was hurt. He was hurt in some games, quote unquote. But was he hurt at the beginning of the year when he was getting fucking obliterated then? Because he wasn't. He wasn't hurt. He move. Yeah, but he was hurt this year. Like, if you go back to 2021, he moved way better than, than he did in 2022. I'm not going back for fucking two years to see a guy play this year. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I, I didn't even do that with Jackson Smith and Najigba, to be honest with you. Ridiculous. I love Jackson, but Jackson had an off year. He was hurt. He's a little bit of a risk. That's why... He, I have Zay Flowers and also Jordan Addison in front of him. If he had come out and if he had freaking been awesome this year, then that's that's different. But even though he wasn't as awesome as he once was, even the, in the sense of like he didn't have 1,600 yards this year, when he did play, when he did catch, when he did make plays, when he did like when he was out there for Ohio State, he actually could make some plays happen. But again, he was hurt and he was just off all year. Even though I love Jackson, I'm like, I don't think right now I can take him over Zay Flowers and also Jordan Addison, but, and I love, and I love Jackson, but I mean, I can't do that in good conscience to me at least here. Here's my no, no, Cause I see you, I see you getting like putting your head down. This is what I like. You have a really talented young player, right? He's 22 or 23 years old. And everyone says he's got a tremendous work ethic. So then why? Nobody says that. I don't know where Dan just got that from. Nobody says that. Nobody says he, like, what everybody says about his intangibles, his intangibles being, like, the stuff that you can't see on tape, like, leadership, the, the character of the person. Nobody says that he's a hard worker. Nobody. Like the only reason why people say he's a quote unquote hard worker is because he um he had this before and after picture of him like a couple of months before and then a couple of months later and this is in regards to like this year and how he had like gotten into like great shape for example for the combine and for his pro day. And it's just like why weren't you in that shape during the season? But everybody was like, "Oh my god, look how awesome of shape Will Levis was in. And it's just like, why weren't you in that shape in the season? Or in the summer, I guess, of last season or in the spring. 
Just saying. Do we really think that a guy that's really talented and has a really good work ethic all of a sudden can't play? Like that, that his 2021 performance, there's this individual drop-off to 2022? Again, again, right? Dan is all over the place, right? Because Dan is like, do you think this guy that's uberly talented that works really hard can't play in the NFL? And the short and the, and the simple answer is yes. I don't think he can play in the NFL. You can't even play in fucking college. What do you? What, it's just like, what do you? What do you mean? He can't even play college football. Are you kidding me? Jesus fucking Christ! Like, what? What drop off are we talking about here? What drop off? Oh, and and I'm thinking of Anthony Richardson and his completion percentage. So I apologize. He actually does have a pretty decent completion percentage. But it's just like, bro, what what completion, what drop-off are we talking about? He missed two games this year. But his numbers probably would have been the same as it once was last year. He had 28 yards, or technically two years ago in 2021. He had 2,800 yards in 2021. He had 2,400 yards this year. He had 24 touchdowns in 2021. He had 19 touchdowns this year. He had 13 interceptions in 2021. 10 this year or last year, his stats are literally the same. And he's like, there was a huge drop off. There was no drop off. He is the exact same fucking player. Just that simple. Or are there variables like, hey, man, they stunk on the offensive line. His offensive coordinator left. There's again, 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 fucking excuses. Tell that to Bryce Young. When his offensive line is getting freaking clapped up by Tennessee. And Bryce had to throw for 49 yards with no wide receivers. Who's his number one guy? Who's his number one guy? Tell that to Bryce Young this year. Hell, you can even tell it to him last year against Georgia. When he went into Georgia and almost beat Georgia by himself with nobody. No Jamison Williams, no John Mechie, no none of that. Almost beat Georgia in the national championship two years ago, excuse me. Technically, it was a year ago in 2022 when it happened, but it was during the 2021 season. Tell that to Justin Herbert. Goodness gracious. Tell that to Lamar. It's so ridiculous. It's like he was a top five player, right? Hold on. Clayton Kershaw is trending. Hold on. Clayton Kershaw is trending. He's trending. Is Clayton Hart? Clayton Kershaw's trending on Twitter right now. Give me two seconds. I got to figure this out. I have not seen Clayton Kershaw pitch in a baseball game. Give me two seconds. I got to figure out what's going on with my guy. Oh. oh, my God. It looks like he's fucking pitching a fucking no-hitter tonight. It's top of the fucking seventh against the New York Mets. And I'm missing it. Goodness gracious. Do I, uh, yes, I got the game. I got the game. Okay. I'm going to get to see Clayton Kershaw pitch. Oh, thank God. Oh, God. I'm so excited. Yes, I'm so excited. Sorry. Going back to, uh, I, I, was, I was worried because Clayton Kershaw was trending and Clayton has had some, he's had some injuries here and there and he doesn't get to pitch a lot. So I'm like, I want to make sure I get to see Clayton Kershaw pitch. Going back to Will Levis. 
Dan Orlovsky making excuses for a guy that he likes, not actually looking at the uh, the reality of the situation and saying if a guy is talented. And again, he is Zach Wilson 2.0, and people are not making this read. And in about six to eight months, which team is he going to get drafted to? Is he going to get drafted to the Colts? He's going to get drafted to the Colts. He's going to have a big arm. Is he going to be better than Trevor Lawrence in his first year in the NFL? Is he going to be anywhere near the level that Joe Burrow was in his rookie season when he had literally nobody on his squad? Will Levis, if he gets drafted to the Colts, will have Jonathan Taylor, Quentin Nelson, and Michael Pittman Jr., among others, like Alec Pierce on that squad. He's going to have a really good team around him. Is he going to be able to win 10 games? I want to know. Is he going to get to the playoffs? He should get to the playoffs if he is what you say he is. Now, the issue is, is that if he doesn't have the intangibles, if he doesn't have the accuracy, if he doesn't have the actual NFL tangibles and intangibles, which are completion percentage, and also mechanics, which he lacks, he lacks completion, he la not completion percentage, he lacks accuracy, and he lacks mechanics, and on top of that, he also potentially lacks intangibles. I saw him get hit a lot this year, and there were times where he freaking tapped out. There were times where Bryce got absolutely obliterated, and you can watch that Tennessee game, you can watch the Georgia game, and you can see Bryce Young get absolutely obliterated, and he scraped his small ass up off that turf, and he went back under center with blood and dirt between his freaking face, and he threw strikes and bombs down the football field. Fearless. Intangibles. Teammates love him. I have not heard a peep about a teammate or from a teammate about Will Levis positively. But sure, fine, Dan. Talk to, we'll, let you, we'll let you cook for 20 more seconds, and then we'll actually bring in a real analyst to break you down. Here we go. I, don't, I would bet there's not a single skill position player on that offense that's going to play in the NFL, and he was hurt. Yeah, you're right. And he's jock, so you know he's a hard worker. Like, yeah. mm -hmm. he's very disciplined. You can tell that. He's very yeah. yoked up, so he works hard. It's not easy to get there. I'm cool with whoever, but it sounds like C.J. Stroud might be available for. And Again, I love Pat. Why wasn't he in shape in the season? Why did it take until after the season for him to get into shape? That's my question. That's like the whole Jalen Carter thing, right? Why is Jalen Carter out of shape? In the offseason. It's like we're four months removed from the season. He can't have a good pro day. He can't have he can't have a good uh, a, he can't participate in the combine. He can't do any of that stuff. Ridiculous. I'm not comparing it one to one. I'm comparing it in the reverse. Jalen Carter was re was ready for the season in the season. He's ready. He was in shape. Why wasn't Will Levis? Why wasn't he in this phenomenal shape? I just don't understand it. Here's a real NFL analyst from CBS breaking down, not directly, but indirectly, what Dan Orlovsky is talking about. I'm sorry. I just don't understand the Will Levis hype as a top five pick. This is the most overhyped quarterback of the last decade. And it stems from something that really bothers me. When people fall in love with a quarterback based on how they look in shorts and a t-shirt, throwing against air. Yeah, Will Levis dominated his pro day, but where did he dominate the game tape? 
Yes, you saw flashes of brilliance and you saw some wow throws. But more times than not, I saw a quarterback struggle with the basic throws, routine throws. You want to make those look easy and you'll get the wow throws will come later. Statistically, if you look at a season, it looks okay, 19 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. But you have to remember, nine of those touchdowns came against MAC competition. Everyone wants to project Will Levis as the next Josh Allen, but I think there's a more likelihood he's the next Jake Locker or, best case, Mitch Trubisky. I'm sorry. I just don't understand the Will Levis. Sorry about that. To give you a little bit more comp, not competition, excuse me, but context on the situation. He's talking about MAC 10 opponents, and I talked about this when I broke him down, right? I talked about Will Levis, and I was just like, all of his great games are against shitty opponents, right? The guy that we just listened to said, Mac 10 opponents, okay? Nine of the 19 touchdowns came against, that's half, pretty much, against Mac 10 opponents. He had three touchdowns against Miami of Ohio. He had two against Youngstown State. He had four against Northern Illinois, Okay? That is the nine touchdowns against Florida, who isn't, who doesn't have like a great football program this year. Didn't have one, one touchdown against Mississippi. He had two against Mississippi state one against Tennessee. You know, that team that freaking almost went to the, uh, in my opinion, the college football playoffs that they had Hinton Hooker playing zero touchdowns, three interceptions. He was terrible against Missouri. Hey, he played a great game. Three touchdowns. Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, zero, 11 of 23 for 47% completion percentage. Georgia, he had one touchdown, should have won the game, didn't, because Georgia played awful that day. They were like, we're about to beat the shit out of Kentucky, and they didn't. They almost lost, and he had two touchdowns against Louisville. The thing about, now my evaluation of Will Levis is starting to come back to me. Will will have these fantastic games, right? 77% completion percentage against Youngstown State. 69% against Northern Illinois. 65% against Miami of Ohio, right? And that kind of inflates his statistics, right? These high, high, high completion percentage games. But then he'll have a 54% against Florida. He'll have a freaking 59% against Tennessee. He'll have 47% against... Vanderbilt, and he'll have a 57% against Louisville. That's almost half the season. How many games is that? He played in 11 games this year. That is one, two, three, four games where he's thrown below 50%, or excuse me, 60%. And then if I take out the other games, right, the... The, uh, the, the kind of like the stat patty games, the games against Cupcakes, Miami of Ohio, Youngstown University, Northern Illinois, that's like we're talking about half the season now, right? Against Mississippi, Mississippi State, Missouri, sorry about that, and Georgia where he actually played pretty well. Relatively wise. I'm annoyed with the conversation around Will Levis. I'm so glad that the conversation... Will stop here in a couple of in in like a couple of days. I'm so excited, oh, so very excited that this will stop here. Goodness gracious, so exhausted. 
Oh, gosh. You know what I am also excited for? For the Clippers and the Suns game to be over with so I can see Clayton Kershaw pitching. Ooh, baby. Clayton Kershaw. I can't wait. Oh, man. I didn't expect Clayton. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for Clayton to play. I've been waiting to also get a game in which Clayton Kershaw is playing. Oh, God. He's got nine strikeouts to today. Three hits. Oh, my God. So excited. So excited. Oh, God. Can't wait. Cannot wait. Cannot wait to see Clayton Kershaw. I've been waiting for over a month to see this guy play. Oh, baby. Very, very few things get me excited as seeing Clayton Kershaw throw really, really awesome sliders. Anyways. Let's talk about the draft here. Oh, by the way, super excited. Oh, gosh. couple more weeks until Breath of the Wild, the second game comes out. What's it called? Tears of the Kingdom comes out. Also, I saw this rapper. His name was his Logic come out with uh, this beat tape, and I've he, he was wearing this, like, really, really awesome shirt. This, like, uh, what was it? This Spider-Man shirt with the Punisher on it, and I've been trying to, like, find it myself and he uh did i i can't find it i've like tried to reverse image search it i've like looked in the comments everybody wants to know where he got this motherfucking shirt from and i i just i can't find it i don't know where he got this shirt from regardless i looked at i found the, these like really really awesome like zoomies these huff shirts of spider-man and I'm so excited because it's like next next month or in two months, we got the new Spider-Man movie that's supposed to come out, Spider-Man um, Into the Spider-Verse, the second movie. I can't wait for that movie. That's supposed to be awesome as well. Oh, can't wait for that one. And like the nerd I am, I will be walking into that fucking movie theater with a fucking, with a fucking Spider-Man t-shirt on. It's going to be so fucking awesome. I can't. Uh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Sorry. Looks like the Warriors, not the Warriors, excuse me, the Suns are actually taking care and handling business, it looks like. I mean, I, I love Kawhi Leonard. I'm a San Antonio Spurs fan. I I miss Kawhi Leonard to this motherfucking day. I miss him. I still miss him. It's like I'm that guy outside of a, a girl's window playing that song, Baby, come back! Dun, dun, dun. I'm still like, I still... Wish Kawhi Leonard was a San Antonio Spur because he was awesome. He was awesome. And he still is awesome. He has 31 points tonight. Baby, come back. Kawhi, come back. Or at least go to the Lakers. Go to a team that can actually win games. Could you imagine? This, this is also my frustration with Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi could have gone to the Los Angeles Lakers. But like every single player, he started to hear the chirping. He was like, oh, LeBron James, LeBron James, I got to be better than LeBron. And instead of joining LeBron James, instead of being a winner like LeBron James, he's like, I got to go make my own legacy in the Clippers, which is a terrible idea. The Clippers stink. They're the B team. They're the B side to the Goats, the Lakers. I mean, there's so much. You can never surpass the Lakers in Los Angeles. You can never surpass that team in that city. I'm watch I mean, nobody in Los Angeles, 
I, re- I remember Rich Eisen was talking about the Los Angeles Angels, and he was like, uh, I don't understand why Los Angeles Angels fans aren't going out to see Shohei Otani pitch his first pitch of the season. Number one, nobody gives a shit about baseball. Number two, that was the play-in game. That was the day the play-in game was for the Lakers. Nobody gives a shit about the Angels. I love Shohei Otani. I love Mike Trout, but guess what? Nobody's going to go watch those fucking teams, those fucking, that fucking team play, because they're not the fucking Lakers, and they for damn sure aren't the Dodgers. And in that regard, it's like, why would anyone care about the Clippers? It's the exact same thing with the Clippers. It's like nobody gives a shit about the Rams because the Rams aren't Oakland. They don't represent the city. They haven't been there long for the city. And I'm like, I'm watching the freaking Clippers and I'm, and I'm crying my fucking eyes out because Kawhi would have been an awesome Los Angeles Laker. Would have been an awesome Laker. And he's here stuck having to carry the shitty ass Clippers instead of joining up with LeBron James. And I just, I want some of these legacy players like Damian Lillard to just go and be a Laker. Just be a Laker. Join LeBron. I want Kawhi Leonard to join LeBron. Kawhi, not Kawhi. Kyrie Irving is like, a, like I, I want to create, I want to create my own thing in Boston. He fails miserably in Boston. He's like, I'm gonna create my own thing in New York. He fails miserably in New York. He's like, I'm gonna go create my own thing in a playoff team in Dallas. That's like a top five team in the West. They freaking tank. Fails absolutely miserably in in Dallas. Like, to the point where we're just like, Kawhi, um, you kind of are nothing without LeBron. He's a great basketball player, but oh my goodness. It's like, I wish he was a Laker. I wish Kawhi was a Laker. I wish Dame Drop was a Laker. I wish Dame Drop was a Laker more. Because Dame Drop has not had a championship. He's not going to get close with Portland. The whole thing of like, I'm going to win in my home city where I got drafted in, that is... Ridiculous. That is not going to happen. He's got to be realistic about it. He's got to understand that he will not win as long as he is a Portland Trailblazer. Looks like the Clippers are going to go down tonight. It's 109 to and another turnover by Russell Westbrook. So almost it looks like. No, it is another turnover by Russell Westbrook. 109. 119. By the way, that's his second in back-to-back series. Anyways, I may just start getting Clayton Kershaw going. I want to see Clayton Kershaw pitching here tonight. I want to talk about draft players. Not draft players, but draft picks here. Draft players, things of that nature. We'll talk about, we'll do my final mock draft. We haven't really done a whole lot of mock drafts here. And uh, on the podcast, just because it's just like everybody does them and I'm kind of sick and tired of them. But here are, I'll talk to you about my list of top 10 players. And then we'll go on to position-wide players, right? Like players that I have in certain positions and things of that nature. Right? So number one player in the draft is Bryce. Young, obviously. Then it's C.J. Stroud. Then it's Will Anderson, right? I'll go fast here so that way we can get into the positional rankings. reason why it's those three players is because Bryce and C.J. play quarterback. Will Anderson plays edge, and they're both better at at it. They're both better at it than he is, right? Jalen Carter at four. 
I love Jalen, and he's probably a better player in college than Will was. Jalen was also hurt a lot last year, which is why he didn't have, like, as great of a season as, in my opinion, that he could have. Notice how, by the way, I'm like, Jalen Carter got hurt. Notice how I'm not Dan Orlovsky and saying, like, like uh, Jalen Carter had a lesser season than he really should have had last year. Notice how I'm not giving him excuses, but I'm also being realistic and saying, like, he probably could have had a better season. But he also had an awesome season, right? I'm not trying to fabricate things. It's like he still had an awesome season, even though he was hurt, even though he was playing in off positions, and even though Georgia was trying to, like, make sure they didn't exacerbate the injuries that he had or injury. Jalen Carter, four, the defensive tackle out of Georgia. Really, the surprise of the draft is how awesome Tyree Wilson is. He's going to be a fantastic football player for whatever team that he gets drafted to. Odds are to me that it's probably going to be Detroit there or Seattle. They're like right there and they're perfectly positioned to take either. This is Seattle and Detroit. It's probably going to be Detroit. Seattle probably will take Jalen Carter at five and then Detroit will probably take Tyree Wilson at like six or seven. That's probably where he's probably going to go. That's, you know, that's that's where I think he'll go. And so it'll just be Tyree Wilson, one of the best players, one of the shocks of the draft to me, uh, taken at, uh, God, man, the Clippers can't catch a fucking break. Talking about how much of a fucking non-factor they are, I just saw P.J. Tucker step out of bounds while trying to, while trying to set up for three. Huge, important, freaking just turnover by him. And now they got Kevin Durant being guarded by P.J. Tucker, and it's just, he gets fouled, of course, by P.J., and it's just like, it's just not even not even a fair fight at this point. Going back to my top 10, Tyree Wilson at five is awesome. Uh, Christian Gonzalez, to me, is the best cornerback in the draft, and it's, I mean, it's close between him and Devin Witherspoon. Love Devin Witherspoon. I think Christian Gonzalez is probably a faster corner overall. overall. Zay Flowers, and really, I went back and forth between Christian Gonzalez and Zay Flowers. And it's close between really them two being the sixth overall prospect, in my opinion. Zay Flowers is essentially Jalen Waddle, and I don't care how I don't care how short I don't care how short he is. Ooh, he's short. I don't care. Uh, people need to stop looking at measurements and height, and they actually need to start start watching people play. I'm tired of media members using their two eyes and being able to say, "Wow, Zay Flowers is short." I knew he was short in September. What else do you got for me? Uh, gee, uh, what what are you going to tell me next that's really insightful, that water is wet and the sky is blue? Zay Flowers at seven, awesome football player. He's essentially the new Jalen Waddle. Uh, literally, he if you were, were going to compare measurements, he has the exact same measurements with Jalen Waddle. Don Kincaid at number eight. It seems like the traction around him is starting to pick up. He'll probably be a mid to late teens draft pick. I think the Chargers probably will select him because it's just an, a very, very obvious read at that point. They need a tight end. They don't have a tight end. They probably don't want to pick a wide receiver, but they also want to add some firepower to their uh, to the receiving room. But they could also go for Bijan Robinson or Jameer Gibbs or somebody like that because they also need a running back. They have a shit ton of players on defense. Brandon Staley, this is his second year. It feels like it's his third or fourth. I'm already done and over and tired of Brandon Staley and his ridiculousness as a head coach. He needs to win next year, and he needs to not cost his team a playoff game. 
They had four or three. They had four interceptions against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I was like, game is over with. He is supposed to be a defensive savant, and he couldn't figure things out. A lot of players on his team get hurt. A lot of players play with really, really bad injuries, and then they exacerbate the injuries, and then they're out for the season. See J.C. Jackson, huge free agent signing, and I'm just done with uh, Brandon Staley. I didn't like the hire. I was like, let me, let me take some time with him, and I've taken enough time. I don't like the hire. Uh, Dalton Kincaid at eight overall, though, is an awesome football player. He's awesome. He's great. Jordan Addison at nine, wide receiver out of USC. He's awesome. And then the awesome cornerback out of Illinois in Devin Witherspoon. He's my 10th guy. Uh, I, I think Jackson Smith and Najigba is hovering around early teens. Like, I know technically 11 isn't in the teens, you know, like 13, 14, 15, but he's like, 11, 12, 13, 14 overall, somewhere. Looks like the uh, the Clippers have waved the white flag here. They just benched Kawhi Leonard. It's 109 to 120. One, so I'm just. Looks like the uh, the Suns have got some uh, got some bark to their bite, or got some bite to their bark, whichever one it is. Regardless. I'm watching the Dodgers. I, I'm, I, w- I want to watch Clayton Kershaw throw strikes here. Going back to uh, to what I was talking about, my overall prospects. So those were my overall top 10 prospect, prospects. Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Will Anderson at 1, 2, 3. Jalen Carter, 4. Tyree Wilson, 5. Christian Gonzalez, 6. Zay Flowers, 7. Don Kincaid, 8, Jordan Addison, 9, and then Devin Witherspoon, 10 overall. Great group of guys. Super excited to see them all go here uh, in about a week here. Quarterbacks now. Let's talk about all the quarterbacks here. I got five quarterbacks. I usually try to go for 10, but then I was just like, these top five guys really are the only guys that kind of matter here. Uh, Bryce Young is obviously the number one quarterback on the board. In my opinion, on my board, I've talked about him enough. He's he's easily the best quarterback. Uh, it seems like the more time goes on, the more underrated he becomes. In the sense of people are just talking about his size, they aren't. They they want to essentially say Anthony Richardson is athletic, but then Bryce Young will also showcase off his athleticism in games. They'll talk about Will Levis's arm, but then Bryce Young will throw 50, 60 yard bombs down the field like it's nothing. It's like they just completely and utterly forget about any and all positive attributes of Bryce Young besides his pocket presence and his accuracy. And they just like it's ridiculous how slighted Bryce Young has gotten. I hope he's got a chip as big as a freaking diamond on his back now because um, it like uh, people are just going to talk shit about him and they've been giving way too much Attention to, in my opinion, inferior players like Will Levis. C.J. Stroud, number two. Bit of an unfinished product, in my opinion. He is, uh, he's like a, he's like what everybody thinks Anthony Richardson and Will Levis is. He's, he probably has, I mean, it's close, but I think Bryce's arm is awesome. I really do. I mean, just for argument's sake, he probably has a better arm than Bryce, but it's it's really hard to tell. And to be honest with you, I don't really think it matters because their arm strength is very, very similar with one another. I didn't really see a whole lot of elite 
arm talent traits in regards to an ability to be able to throw at very, very unique arm angles. I mean, I've seen Bryce throw with some different arm angles and on some different platforms and on some difficult platforms as well. It's why it's like the arm talent for me, it's like CJ Stroud is slightly better, probably just an argument's sake, but it's a, such a slight that it really doesn't matter. And I think mechanically speaking, Bryce is better. And I think that's just clear cut. And I think that's just where he beats him just clear cut in a way. And it's just not, it's just not even close. The second guy <clears throat> That I think is awesome is just Hendon Hooker, or not the second guy, the third guy on my board is Hendon Hooker. I think he's awesome. I think he's great. I'm shocked that people consistently are worried about an ACL injury, and they just don't give this guy his credit. People want to talk about Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. This, to me, is the guy that people should be talking about more. This guy, to me, is the quarterback that should be a top five guy in the draft, and, you know, it's hypocritical it's hypocritical because I don't have him in my top 10 but because he plays quarterback most important position in football it's like you can overvalue him a little bit and there are teams like Vegas that really don't have a quarterback like the Colts that don't have a quarterback that need a quarterback and by the way when I say the Colts don't have a quarterback I mean they pretty much don't have a quarterback on the roster they've been signaling I don't know why Jim Irsay tweeted that tweet that he had I'm referencing the tweet that I was talking about at the beginning of the podcast I don't know why Jim Irsay was like we may or may not take a quarterback it's like you will take a quarterback you don't have a quarterback on your team you will throw the young guy into uh, whatever situation that you're in because you don't have a quarterback and you need a quarterback and so I like look if you want my honest opinion I think Henry Hooker would be a great pick the pipeline the connection Peyton has kind of a strained relationship with the Colts. He's more of a Denver Bronco now because of the relationship at the end with him and uh, the Colts doctors and faculty and whatever. Like, he doesn't live in Indianapolis. He lives in Denver. So I'm not necessarily 100% sure on the relationship between him and Jim Irsay, but the simplicity of the fact is, is that there is a clear connection between him and Hooker and the Indianapolis Colts. The connection being Peyton Manning was a Indianapolis Colts and he was a Tennessee volunteer. So like that's the connection. And it's just like to me it's it's an obvious connection, but apparently the Colts they are higher on Will Levis and they may take Will Levis with the 4th overall pick or if by hook or by crook for some weird reason if CJ Stroud is there because the Arizona Cardinals are probably not going to take a quarterback. Scratch that, definitely not. And apparently the Houston Texans may not take a quarterback as well because the Houston Texans are a very, very dumb organization. And so in regards to those two teams, C.J. Stroud could potentially be left available for the Indianapolis Colts to swoop in. Shocker. Apparently Adam Schefter was like, I believe that there won't be... CJ Stroud and Bryce Young taken in the top five. Mike. Oh, no, no, no. He said he believes that they won't be taken before the Colts pick at number four. So the Texans will take a defensive player and the Cardinals will as well. And it's just like, okay. But Hinden Hooker at three might 
third best quarterback. I think he's easily the best. I think he's better than Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. Far more developed. Far better quarterback. I don't know what Dan Orlovsky is talking about when he's like, a guy who works hard and has great arm talent can't be an NFL quarterback. And it's just like, dude, that happens every single year. Again, ask Zach Wilson. But Hendon actually makes great decisions, actually is like really, really accurate consistently with the football. And again, he beat Alabama and he torched out uh, Nick Saban's defense for like 50 points. It was insane. Insane how awesome he played up against Alabama. And that should have been the staple. That should have been his hallmark game. That should have been the most important thing that comes out of his whole career at Tennessee is that he beat Alabama for the first time in, like, I think six or seven or ten years or something like that. It's insane how important and imperative that game was. And you want to know what? Nobody freaking cared. Nobody cared. It was insane to me that nobody, nobody talks about that. Stupid. So stupid. But Hinton Hooker, awesome quarterback. I got to go fast here. Otherwise, we're just going to be here like literally all night just talking about players. Uh, next quarterback prospect is Anthony Richardson. I love Anthony. He's just super underdeveloped. He's like a second round guy. Super under, underdeveloped. Everybody wants to talk about talent, 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 talent. None of it is developed. None of it is consistent. None of it is ready for the NFL. I mean, he's got a big arm. He's got athleticism. What else does he have? He doesn't have mechanics. He doesn't have consistency. He doesn't have good decision making. So let me get this straight, right? He's going to get into the NFL and his talent is going to carry him. What happens when he throws an interception? I would encourage you to watch Justin Fields last year. Watch him. It's like he has a lot of talent, right? How many wins did he have? Enough to qualify him to be the number one overall team drafting this year, which essentially means, not even essentially, it does mean you were the worst team in the NFL. You were the worst team in the NFL. Because you have the highest draft pick. It is awarded to the worst team in the NFL. That's where all that talent from Justin Fields got you. The worst team in the NFL. Best draft pick, though. Whatever, man. Talk about his talent. Anthony Richardson at four. Love, love the player. Super raw. Not finished product. Maybe he gets with somebody that can help him out. Maybe he doesn't. But he's got to work on just everything like a honestly he's like a mid to late second round draft pick early third rounder easily same thing goes with will levis he's like a fourth fifth round guy third fourth fifth round guy for me but both of these guys by the way that it looks like will probably potentially go within the top 10 to 20 so uh, that's it on quarterbacks running backs is a lot better of a draft class i talked about it yesterday where i was shocked by it there was 15 or 20 guys that all were hovering in between the first and the fourth round. Like an insane amount of players and an insane amount of depth. And this will probably persuade certain teams into not taking a running back in the first couple of rounds because they're just like, we could just get awesome depth or a good starter here in 
the first couple of rounds to later rounds as well. The start of the list and the top of the list is obviously Bijan Robinson at one, Jameer Gibbs at two. Those are easily the top two guys in the draft, and it's it's just they're clear cutting away. And then everything kind of just gets muddied a little bit after that. Zach Charbonnet, I think that's how you say his uh, his last name, the running back out of UCLA at three. And then everybody kind of has like different selections of guys here and there uh, as well. Uh, Devin, <clears throat> I can't I can't say his last name. The uh, the running back out of A and M at four, Kendra Miller out of TCU, Sean Tucker out of Illinois, Chase Brown, Roshan Johnson, the running back paired up with Bijan Robinson at UT, who really is really really awesome, but just he was behind Bijan Robinson, so he's just not going to get the snaps. At eight, Tank Bixby at nine, Zach Evans at ten. And look, I could have even put in, I think his name is Deuce Vaughn from uh, Kansas State, Round Rock, Texas, by the way. He's from Round Rock, but he played at Kansas State. Could have put him in as well here at like 10 to 9 among like so many other running backs as well. It is a huge and hugely deep running back draft. And it's just like, there's going to be guys that really should be like fourth to third rounders that are going to be taken in the sixth, seventh round. It's going to be, it's going to be insane. I remember a couple of years ago, didn't the Jets like take Michael Carter, who I had like a third or I had a second round grade on Michael Carter a couple of years ago. And I was just like, I was shocked at how awesome Michael Carter was for, uh, for North Carolina. And I was just like, I can't believe he just falls to like the, sorry about that. Like the fourth round for the Jets shocked, unbelievably shocked, but I feel like it's another one of those draft for running backs where we're just going to have like 20 guys that are just really, really awesome players that should really fall in between the first and the third round. And we're going to see some of these guys go undrafted. It's going to be insane. Wide receivers, though, there's always awesome, awesome talent at wide receiver. I remember people were like, this class isn't very good. Chalker is, again, so much depth. I've already talked about some of the guys. I've talked about three of these guys. Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison, Jackson Smith, Najigba in that order. Zay Flowers one, Jordan Addison two, Jackson Smith, Najigba three. Shocked at um, at kind of the perception around the uh, the league about the wide receiving class because it's not as I mean it's not as clear cut and dry as I guess people would want it to be, but it's still pretty awesome and amazing. Four is Jalen Hyatt, the wide receiver out of Tennessee. Uh, the book on him is that he's, I guess, overweighted. I, I don't really understand how. He's got, like, what, like 1,300, 1,400 yards. He's awesome. Big play guy. I felt like he probably should have ran, like, a low 4-4, high 4-3, mid to high 4-3. Uh, he's way faster than, what, uh, than like what he ran at the Combine. It was weird, some of the numbers that came out of the Combine this year, to be honest with you. I hated watching the Combine this year because of just how un- Inaccurate, I felt like the uh, the stopwatch was. It's a stopwatch. How do you, how's that not inaccurate? Regardless. Jalen Hyatt at four, super awesome wide receiver out of Tennessee. Kind of a little bit of a shocker, some of the conversations around him. The TCU guy that everybody was talking about as the number one guy in like a top 10 pick. Thank God people got that out of their mouth real quick. Quinn Johnson at five, not a huge fan of him, but... I feel like there is a lot there to him. I just have a little bit of Drake London vibes within him a little bit, but I mean, Drake London even had a good season for him this year, but 
I don't think he's the best wide receiver. Is he the fifth best? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, Josh Downs, the North Carolina wide receiver. He reminds me so much of Jahan Dotson last year, and Jahan Dotson was awesome for the Commanders last year. Just an incredible player, an incredible athlete. Just a really, really awesome, gritty, fast, tough wide receiver. It's exactly what the Commanders needed. Josh Downs, awesome, awesome. I keep, I think that he's always from North Carolina because he always reminds me of Jahan Dotson, but he's not, he's not Jahan Dotson. He's his own person. It's Josh Downs, and Josh Downs is an amazing wide receiver. Kayshawn Bouti has fallen. I love Kayshawn. This may be a little bit of an overrate of me overrating him, but I think Kayshawn Bouti could potentially be one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. It's just he's he's struggled over the last couple of years, and I thought he was going to go back to LSU because he was like, I thought he was going to commit to the draft originally, and then he was just like, I'm coming back to LSU. Then he decommitted to coming back to LSU, and he's just like, I'm entering into the draft, which I think is smart. I think he needs to get out of LSU, and I think he needs to go to a veteran quarterback. So, Kayshawn Bouti is going to be, I feel like, a steal wherever he goes. But, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. He's also had some injury concerns there, but we'll see what happens. Kayshawn at seven. Cedric Tillman, the other number two guy from Tennessee at eight. Marvin Mims at nine is, like, a really, really good slot receiver from Oklahoma. The only problem with Marvin is that uh, he just... I mean, he just was dealing with so much dysfunction around him this year and last year and the year before that with Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams kind of like being both of his quarterbacks and then a new head coach after Lincoln Riley went to USC. And it's just, it was a lot of chaos for him as a football player, unfortunately. But I th- I still think he's one of the better, if not one of the best slot receivers in this year's draft. Rushy Rice, Super underrated guy as uh, as well. Tight ends, Dalton Kincaid won. No surprise there. Awesome player. A lot of people are like Michael Mayer's Travis Kelsey, and I look at them sideways because I'm like, he doesn't separate at all. The whole point of Travis Kelsey is that he separates and he's smart in coverage. I'm shocked that people are like Michael May here. Like, I, w- I don't have a first-round grade on Michael Mayer. I don't get it. Like, he essentially is just like, I'm going to beat people because I'm bigger than them. And I think people are like, yes, this is a great aesthetic in an aspect for a tight end. And I'm just like, no, it's not. Like, you want your tight end to be able to beat players with their strength and size sometimes, not all the time. You want players like Dalton Kincaid that can beat players with their strength and size sometimes, but most of the time, with their technique and with their mechanics and with their ability to separate. That's that's the key. So I'm shocked whenever people are like Michael Mayer. And he wears 87 and he plays for Notre Dame. So people are like, he's Gronk or Travis Kelsey. And I'm like, he's not either. He's not either. Both of those players, Travis and Gronk, can separate. He, he But <laughs> ironically enough, I have him number two overall. I'm just like, I'm just annoyed whenever people are like, he's better than Dalton Kincaid. And I'm like, he's not and it's not even close. Darnell Washington, the tight end out of Georgia, is number three. I'm a bit shocked that people are like thinking that he's not as good or as great. He may fall. He may fall in the draft. I remember seeing somebody. I remember the combine is so weird. 
because his measurements at the combine were like lower than Michael Mayer's or somebody else's. And he's in, and, and they took this photo with him and he was obviously bigger and taller than the tight end that they, that was supposedly like two or three inches than him. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on at the combine? We can't measure guys correctly. We can't click buttons on stop watches correctly. Like we can't do anything correct. It's, it's absurd. Absurd. Some of the stuff that goes on in the combine. But, um, Darner Washington is starting to get underrated in my opinion, but he's, he's still one of the best guys in the draft out of Georgia. Uh, Sam Laporta out of Iowa and then Luke Musgrave, uh, at five. And I only got five tight ends because I don't really think that there's a lot of top end guys here that we're going to be talking about Thursday and Friday of next week. If you want my honest opinion about it, offensive tackle and offensive guard slash center. I got 10 guys. I got really five guys for both categories and it equates to 10. Peter Skronsky at one, Broderick Drones, two, Darnell Wright at three, Anton Harrison at four, then Paris Johnson at five. Still don't really know what to make of Paris Johnson, so I just stuck him in at five. But Peter Skronsky to me is the best tackle. Broderick Drones, the Georgia tackle as well. Darnell Wright, the Tennessee right tackle as well, is like super awesome. Then Anton Harrison, the Oklahoma Tackle. It's going to be so interesting to watch Anton Harrison and where he goes because I feel like he's a really, really good player in the making. A very, very subtle, very, very light draft class when it comes to the talent at tackle here. If you want my honest opinion about it. Guard, Osiris Torrance, the guard out of Florida, is super awesome. I think Osiris Torrance could be one of the best guards in the NFL in the next couple of years, really. I mean, he just really doesn't get moved that much at all, ever. Peter Skronsky, again, the tackle out of Northwestern, could also play guard if, if, that's your, uh, if, that's your, if that's what you want. John Michael Smith, the center from Minnesota, is a huge center. He's an awesome center. He's a great center. I mean, he could be a top 10 guy at center in the NFL. He could be easily one of the best centers in the NFL. Um, he's, he's easily one of the best interior offensive linemen this year and this year's draft. I wonder if teams are going to make the read on him. It just seems like center is such a devalued position. Nobody really wants to go down that road. Nobody really is like, eh, I want to spend money on a center or I want to go out and draft a center. But I don't know. John Michael Smith seems to have some momentum around him, and he's also really really good player. Cody Mouch, Mouch, Mouch. The tackle out of North Dakota State could also is also more guard than tackle. And then Joe Tippin at 5. Defensive tackle Jalen Carter at 1, Tyree Wilson. I believe Tyree Wilson can play interior defensive line as well. If that's what coaches wanted him to do, it's not what I would do. But if you wanted him to play defensive tackle, he could probably play tackle. Kalijah Cansey, the Pittsburgh defensive tackle that everybody's been talking about. Mozzie Smith, uh, Jervon Dexter out of Florida as well. Siakai, I I can't say some of these players' names. Siakai Ika, I think that's how you say his, his last name. 
Keanu Benton at seven, Zach Pickens at eight, Brian Brissy at nine, super long Brian Brissy, and then Jacqueline Roy at 10. I'm tired, so I'm going through some of these pretty quickly. Edge, Will Anderson at one, Tyree Anderson, or that was Tyree Wilson, but I was tired when I wrote some of these. Tyree Wilson at two. Again, I think Tyree Wilson is probably one of the best defensive uh, linemen in the draft. So that's why I'm like Tyree Wilson at two as a defensive tackle and two as a edge rusher. Three, Nolan Smith. Love Nolan. Think he's great. Think Georgia just didn't really play him in a lot of winning positions and in a lot of great positions. Uh, Lucas Van Ness at four. BJ, BJ Ojolari at five. Isaiah Foskey at six, Miles Murphy, the edge rusher out of Clemson at seven, Will McDonald at eight, Keon White, nine, and then a dude from Northwestern with like three syllables in his first and last name that I will not even try to pronounce at 10. Finally, we got cornerbacks, Christian Gonzalez at one, Devin Witherspoon to Joey Porter Jr. three. Kaylee Ringo or Keely Ringo at four, Cam Smith at five, DJ Turner six, Deontay Banks seven, Clark Phillips eight, Emmanuel Forbes nine, and then Tyreek Stevenson at 10. Again, there's a lot of really, really awesome cornerbacks here in the draft as well. Kind of a shocker as well as I'm watching Clayton throw on his first pitch. Guess he's still warming up. Thought he was about to throw his first pitch. But really, really deep cornerback class. I think a lot of the cornerbacks probably could be like. I think the majority of the cornerbacks are as far as like early third rounders, borderline late second rounders. Super deep cornerback class. The reason why I haven't gotten my linebackers done yet is just the linebacker class this year sucks. It really does. And it's just. It's just not a good group of players this year. Consistently overall, it's a really, really like. I don't want it's it's bad. It's really bad, especially at the top end. There's there may not be a linebacker that's a first rounder this year. Honestly, I'm not like a big Trenton Simpson guy. I would be shocked if a linebacker goes in the top 50. Top 50. It's that bad. That's like halfway through the second round, by the way. If you're not only up and up. So, linebackers, something to be, uh, they are something to not be desired, I guess. And um, But every other position, for the most part, is pretty awesome. There's some nice safeties here, but I just, just... haven't had the time. Wow, that should have been an out. God, the outfielder for the Dodgers, 23, just gave up a freaking triple, stumbling and stuttering over himself. He needs to wake the fuck up. Ruining Clayton. He already ruined Clayton Kershaw's. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm blaming. I'm like, I'm blaming this. I'm, I'm blaming the hitter. It's like, you should have been able to catch that baseball. Misses it, stumbles backwards like a bad sketch, lets the ball roll past them. And then it it's just, it's an embarrassing move by him. Already ruining Clayton's perfect game. I love how I'm blaming him and not Clayton for striking him out, but striking him out, but still, regardless. Linebacker class this year sucks. 
Safeties, I don't think there's really anyone that could potentially be a first-rounder as well, maybe a second-rounder. There's not really a lot of guys here in this year's draft, so we'll kind of see what happens. But um, overall, a really, really interesting draft class, a really, really great one. I'm really, really excited to see where a lot of these players go, and especially some of the teams and some of their selections. I'm excited in, in that regard. But I'll see you Thursday where we'll kind of wrap up the rest of the uh the rest of the week when it comes to sports i'm super excited about uh what we're gonna see here next week with the draft i'm super tired but i'll see you uh i'll see you on thursday 24th podcast